You're listening to Ithaca Now, WICB's weekly news program focused on stories in the Ithaca community. I'm your host, Jay Bradley, and thanks for joining us. On tonight's show, I talked to Cornell's Director of Labor Education Research about unionization efforts at the Ithaca Starbucks, and News Director Hamadri Saith talks to Student Accessibility Services' Ian Moore in the second part of her story looking at accessibility at Ithaca College. But up first, we have Emma Kirsting and Mika Andia with Community Beat and George Christopher with this week's Politics Beat. After 26 years, Trader Kay's, a secondhand clothing store in Ithaca Commons, is preparing to close down for good. Owners Jay and Karen Sharaba have decided to close the store, but they are staying in Ithaca. The couple owns the building Trader Kay's is in, as well as a few other buildings on the Commons, and plan to be selective with what fills the space left behind. Trader Kay's is currently liquidating their inventory with 30% off everything. The Ithaca Festival has announced its intention to return this year, taking place from June 2nd to 5th, after canceling in 2020 and 2021 due to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. The number of active cases in Tompkins County has dropped to a low enough figure that the festival feels confident in holding the event. The announcement did not address what precautions would be in place to reduce the risk of spreading COVID-19 at the event. Acting Mayor Laura Lewis and City Attorney Ari Levine issued a joint statement denouncing sticker stores as illegal operations. Sticker stores are perceived loopholes to New York State's cannabis legislation, where customers purchase stickers and are gifted cannabis by the store. While cannabis was legalized in New York State in March 2021, retail licenses will be handed out in 2023. The statement reiterated the state's position that sticker stores do not exist in a gray area, but are fully illegal. There are several sticker stores operating throughout Ithaca, but only one that has declared itself publicly. The Tompkins County Health Department clarified local mask advisory details following the CDC's announcement adjusting their community-level metrics related to the masking and prevention steps. Tompkins County's mask advisory will stay in effect as the county is currently listed as having a high community COVID-19 level under the CDC's new framework. Under the local mask advisory, TCHD continues to urge mask wearing for all individuals while indoors and around others. Masks are recommended to be worn especially if you are around people who are ill, who may not be vaccinated against COVID-19, or for those who are at higher risk of severe illness. Tompkins County Health Department is also advising local businesses to continue to ask that patrons wear a mask while indoors and around others. The Tompkins Consolidated Area Transit, or TCAT, is experiencing short staffing and has resorted to putting administrative staff behind the wheels as they struggle to fill bus driver positions. TCAT General Manager Scott Vanderpool said that TCAT had 80 drivers in early 2020, but now has 66 drivers on staff. The short staffing recently forced TCAT to mandate its drivers pick up extra shifts to keep bus lines running. TCAT recently made a new recruiter position to relieve stress on human resources, which they have filled. The Dryden Central School District has proposed a new capital improvement project that would update safety, security, and infrastructure across all schools with a focus on Dryden Elementary School. The project is anticipated to cost $12 million and be funded through the leveraging of the New York State Education Building Aid. 
Superintendent Joshua Bacigalupi said the project would add no additional tax impact to the school community. For Mika India, I'm Emma Kirsting. This is your weekly politics roundup. I'm George Christopher. Tompkins County Legislator Mike Siegler is running for Congress in New York's 22nd Congressional District. The news was confirmed by the Ithaca Voice. Siegler represents Lansing in the county legislature, a heavily Democratic town. Despite that, Siegler was re-elected to the county legislature last year, running unopposed. Siegler is just the second Tompkins County resident to jump into the race after Ithaca's Vanessa Fagens Turner announced her own run in the Democratic primary. Siegler is just the second Republican to jump into the race after Fayetteville's Tim Coe. The new 22nd is a heavily Democratic seat that voted for President Joe Biden by over 18 points in 2020. Two members of the Lansing Village Board of Trustees have announced they won't seek re-election. According to the Ithaca Times, Trustees Randy Smith and Simon Mull announced they wouldn't be running in this April's village elections. The other local villages of Trumansburg, Dryden, Groton, and Cayuga Heights will host their own village elections on March 15th. Republican businessman Harry Wilson has announced a run for governor. According to Fox News, Wilson has pledged $12 million of his own money towards the campaign. A number of Republicans have already announced their own candidacies, including Long Island Congressman Lee Zeldin, 2014 nominee Rob Astorino, Lewis County Sheriff Mike Carpinelli, podcaster Derek Gibson, and Andrew Giuliani, son of former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani. Governor Kathy Hochul has announced a special election in Assembly District 43. According to the Legislative Gazette, the election is scheduled for March 22nd in the Brooklyn-based Assembly seat. Incumbent Democrat Diana Richardson stepped down to become Deputy Brooklyn Borough President. Keep up with local politics every Sunday at 7 p.m. on 91.7 WICB. Reporting for Ithaca Now, I'm George Christopher. You're listening to Ithaca Now. I'm your host, Jay Bradley. With an uptick in employees fighting for collective action and greater worker power across the country, Ithaca is no different, seeing action take place at Starbucks locations in the area. To explore this issue, I talked to the Cornell School of Industrial and Labor Relations Director of Labor Education Research, Kate Broffin-Benner, to hear her thoughts on the movement. Ithaca's Starbucks locations have been in the news for a reason that's taken hold across the country in recent weeks. A petition was signed by 26 employees in Ithaca's three locations of the popular chain cafe, bringing them over the required amount to get a vote for unionization. Starbucks has released statements saying that they do not think a union is necessary, preferring direct communication between administration and employees. But according to a recent article by The Ithacan, employees cited a lack of meaningful communication as a key reason to push for this effort. Other reasons reported as being cited by employees include the company's COVID-19 protocol, excessive assigned tasks, benefits, pay, and more. And it's not just Ithaca. Unionization efforts have taken hold across the country. The Ithaca Starbucks workers themselves took inspiration from workers at a successful Starbucks unionization effort in Buffalo. Other large companies like John Deere, Nabisco, and Amazon have seen union creation attempts or labor action take place among their employees over recent weeks, too, as the mid-pandemic labor movement has people vying for collective power at the same time that many others seek career pivots or resignations. To get a better sense of the moment, we spoke to Kate Broffenbenner, the Director of Labor Education Research at the Cornell School of Industrial and Labor Relations. The Starbucks campaign is a very exciting development in that it has proven to 
uh, be something that is inspiring workers across the country, especially young workers. The workers at Starbucks uh, naturally are young, and they are uh, they're organizing not for the you know normal reasons. They're organizing. Yes, they're organizing about wages, but they're also organizing around issues of um, they they're they're organizing because of uh, broader issues of how they f- they feel about how Starbucks has treated them. They're organizing about political issues. They're organizing um, about respect and dignity, and they're getting excited about Starbucks campaigns at each time another Starbucks organizes and and one it's contagious and when one Starbucks organizes and another Starbucks organizes and it spreads from one Starbucks to another. Yeah. And I mean, haven't we seen something similar to that in the Amazon warehouses in the last about two years? When uh, the first one, I believe it was Alabama that had the first unionization vote and then others started to have, uh, you know, similar initiatives throughout the country. Is that correct? And this happens. This happens in all movements where you know workers workers think it's not possible, and they are afraid to challenge an employer, or they're afraid to challenge um, a leader. And then they see that um, one group of workers do it, and they think, "Oh, you can challenge the boss," and and then they get the courage to do it themselves. Yeah, and and what kind of do you think are the conditions that have changed in the last few years uh, that have started to bring labor back into the forefront, bring union organizing back into the consciousness of uh, people at these sort of jobs? Well, we had several things happen. First of all, the um, the Wall Street um, and started, you know, people in general started to distrust corporations more when they they saw that you know things were tough and the top the wealth distribution got more skewed and but covid played a huge role which is here where here everyone was making sacrifices people were risking their health and their lives and they saw that the uh the those who were wealthiest and the corporate corporations were sacrificed not not just sacrificing less, but actually were making huge profits at the at, at the expense of all the rest of society. And workers, particularly uh, service workers, uh, essential workers, including Starbucks workers and Amazon workers, who were you know feeding us, uh, supplying us with essential supplies, risking their lives. Um, were um, were being expected to make great sacrifices, and when they a- asked for health and safety protections, when they asked for the right to organize, they were being slapped down, um, and and they had enough. Some quit, and some decided to stand up and fight back and organize a union. Yeah. So is this? Are these sort of actions really only being seen in the kind of more, I, I guess people would refer to them as entry-level service positions or like uh, warehouse jobs? Or is this being seen, or are similar or different uh, things being seen in more kind of white-collar sphere? I know there's uh, 
so many articles have been published about the Great Resignation. Tell me about how these things connect. see museum workers organizing. We see teachers going on strike. We see um, tech workers organizing. You know, we have media journalists organizing and striking. This is happening across the board. When we've had more digital media workers organizing, media workers organizing than ever before. So, no, this is happening across the board. And with what you see right now, how do you see this shaking out in about a year, two years? Do you think this will be a trend that continues or do you hope to see that? Well, we've had we've had the a strike wave, uh, you know, spikes are going up and we have organizing go up. But, you know, these things can also fizzle out. It's really it's really up to the labor movement to take advantage of this and build on it and do the right thing and 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 workers to um, keep standing up. And it also depends a lot on the economy. I mean, we just had today a, a war breakout in um, Eastern Europe and wars, you know, the entire economy can change when war mm. happens. So there are many variables. And what are some of the main goals and objectives you've seen different labor organizing movements uh, kind of strive for uh, over the last few years? The American labor movement is very diverse. It goes from the, you know, we have building trades all the way to entertainment unions. So, you know, we've had some big changes. The labor movement has, you know, united with Black Lives Matter and the immigrant rights movement. And my hope is that the labor movement is going to become increasingly a social justice movement and an environmental movement. Um, it's going to become a global movement because only when the labor movement sees itself as part of a, a you know, a global social justice movement that uh, understands that it can all, it only when it sees um, the, the rights of all workers worldwide will it become, will it be able to really organize and grow. And that some, its strength lies in, in seeing itself as something much bigger um, and and focusing on the rights of all workers. And is there anything else about, uh, especially regarding uh, unionization in Ithaca, like how, how difficult is it to get something moving? Because I know they've said it will take a few months at least to get uh, a union actually like approved and, and kind of codified. Like what is that process generally like? Well, you know, there's the legal process and they're starting to act like a union and the workers and the union can start acting like a union right away. And so you can start, um, you can start building power in the workplace and starting to take action um, you don't have to wait for that. So I think that, and you know, that's what the workers at Starbucks did in Buffalo. And I think that they can start doing that, you know, sooner. Um, they're part of, you know, the workers, Starbucks workers are gathering from all across the country together. They're uniting, they're building their power. And the Starbucks workers in Ithaca are part of a bigger movement and they can, they don't have to wait till they have a signed contract for that. All right. Is there anything else you think is really important for people to know to touch on regarding these issues we have a strong labor tradition in Ithaca the conference Cortland labor coalition that was founded here and you know more than 30 years ago has you know worked to help workers for a long time the worker center here I think there are, uh, people should support the worker center and students should 
students can get involved and and, and support it and learn more about it. Both at the college and Cornell, and I think that there's a lot to do and learn to get involved. That was Kate Broffenbenner, the Director of Labor Education Research at the Cornell School of Industrial and Labor Relations. The vote for whether or not Ithaca's Starbucks will form a labor union will take place at a later date. For WICB News, I'm Jay Bradley. This is Ithaca Now on WICB. I'm your host, Jay Bradley. As accessibility continues to be an issue for many with disabilities trying to get a college education across the country, News Director Himadri Seth took a look at how Ithaca College fares when it comes to providing adequate resources for those with special needs. In the second part of her investigation into accessibility resources on the IC campus, Seth talks to Ian Moore, the Director of Student Accessibility Services. Last week, on our theme of accessibility in Ithaca College, we heard from Danny Bishop, co-president of DEER at IC. Bishop talked about the role of the Disability Education and Advocacy Resource Club at Ithaca College, the present state of accessibility on campus, her views on student accessibility services, and common misconceptions surrounding disability. If you missed this episode, you can find it by looking up Ithaca Now on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This week, we get back into the topic, but from a different angle. Uh, we primarily you know, we work with individuals with disabilities to facilitate the interactive process for deciding accommodations to ensure equal access. That's Ian Moore, the Director of Student Accessibility Services at Ithaca College, which is the primary disability service organization in IC. Moore talked about some of the services SAS provides to students. What services SAS provides? There's not like a set list of accommodations. Accommodations, there's there's no menu that you can order, um, which is you know a lot of the ways that people you know look at this. Like uh, when we have parents come in, they're like, oh hey, I, like, do you offer extended time on tests as an accommodation? And while extended time on tests is something that's so regular and customary that like yeah, like of course we do that. Um, really, the system is predicated on like a student can ask for anything. A student can ask for the moon, and there's a number of reasons that we either can or have to say no to that. Um, the moon being a non-feasible option uh, that is an unattainable object. Um, uh, but they still can ask it. And then the, 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 like, our process is sort of guiding us along the way of like how we ask questions, how we evaluate the requests. Um, and then again, like if we can't say, if it, it hits none of the no checkboxes, you know, we figure out how, you know, we, we got to figure out how we, we're going to do this at, at this point. So you know, for example, like someone could come and say, I would like an emotional support horse or a therapy horse on campus. And I will be like, okay, well, is there a disability? Because I only work with people with disabilities and they can give me documentation that says, yes, there is a disability. And I could go, okay, well, does the research support therapy horses helping with whatever disability? And yes, there's tons of research research to support that. So, you know, that's a connection that the, the, the accommodation would actually alleviate the barriers created by the disability. Is it safe to have a horse on campus and to store? Probably not. So I'm going to have to deny that one on the safety concern. But like when we deny an accommodation request, you know, at that point, I'm like, okay, well, I recognize there's a disability. I recognize there's barriers. I recognize you're looking for something to alleviate that. Uh, is there something else we can look at? So, you know, 
an emotional support animal that maybe is not livestock would be where my mind would go in that situation. Uh, is there something along that context that, that would work? Just like there's no set list of accommodations that caters to the needs of every student, disabilities themselves are varying in type and degree. I asked Moore what he, or SAS more broadly, view as a disability. We try to, as much as possible, follow the social justice model of disability, which, yeah, I mean, you can take classes on, but I'll, like, 30 seconds, like, disability is within the environment. My ADHD and my job doesn't feel like a disability because it doesn't prevent me from doing the fundamental things that I need to do in my job. Yes, occasionally I am a little late for a meeting because I got distracted reading something and I slipped my, you know, my schedule like got all wonky, but not major barriers in the sense of like when I was a student, I failed my freshman year um, because I went very mistakenly went to a large uh, university. All of my classes had minimum 150 students and my ADHD, like I have a hard time blocking out sensory information. So I'm hearing all these conversations and I'm getting nothing from the professor. Um, so if you think about barriers in environments, that's mainly sort of the model that we do. We try to talk to students in that sense, like how do you perceive the barrier in the environment? Because if you're in a wheelchair and you go to the A&E center, you can come at it from any angle. You don't feel disabled, you just go in because the, the, it's flat, there's no stairs, the buttons are there, the elevator's there, like everything's right there in the obvious area. And that disability doesn't, you know, even though you would say someone in a wheelchair likely has a disability, they don't feel disabled in that environment. You go to campus center and like, you gotta find the right entrance and like, if you're you're going to walk around and try to find the elevator because where's the elevator? It's not really clearly marked. Um, uh, we a little bit use the, um, you know, as a, as a disability service office for higher education institution, like we, we take that model, we kind of combine it with the, you know, American with Disability Act definition, which is a disability is a uh, physical or cognitive impairment that substantially limits a major life activity. And then major life activities like reading, thinking, breathing, walking, smelling, seeing, like any, like it's not skydiving, it's kind of a major life activity, like it, it's a very broad category. Um, but in deciding, like we, I think, I think as a cultural thing, you'll find everyone here, like you don't think about disability in sense of the person you think about disability in the sense of what environments are you engaging in. So it's inherently tied to the environment and the, the environment is inherently at fault for creation of the barriers. Do you think there are specific circumstances in which um, that, that students might face um, in a college campus that makes their disability be more of a disability than it would maybe if, you know, everything was perfect and everyone accounted for individual differences? Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons we're in office is because the world is not perfect. Like, I love working with students and, uh, you know, I like this, this area of work. Obviously, I've gotten to this area of work for a reason. Um, but also the sad truth about, like, every student that comes to my office is a failure of the system to be individualized and to be fully inclusive. Um, you know, magic wand, like, again, we talked about testing accommodations, testing accommodations are the number one accommodation we have, the extra time on tests um, dominates by far, it's not even a close second, it's Usain Bolt running against me in a race, like, there's no comparison between the two. Um, and uh, oh, I lost my train of thought, uh, I had something pop up and I looked at it, and it was a mistake. Um, 
you know, we do that accommodation because we need to, but like I magic wand, I wish for a world that like, why are we, why are you really grading time? Now, yeah. If time is fundamental, you got to grade time. If you got to do this uh, fake surgery on this crash test dummy, cause you're in the PA program and you got to change out an artery or do something medical that I don't, you know, I, you know, that's got to take five minutes because it's medical complications. But if you're taking a test in, um, you know, something that's more like the liberal arts education where you're answering like a hundred multiple choice questions and like, you're going to, oh, you're done with time. Like, are you going to fail Einstein because they were like a little tired because they didn't sleep last night and they just hadn't gotten to finishing yet. Like I would love an inclusive world where we don't, um, you know, we don't have to have accommodations because student didn't need to ask for them because the environment provided inherently. And actually, strangely enough, um, the pandemic's silver lining for an office like ours is things that we used to fight about and have to like talk with people and create understandings with uh, are just, yeah, they're like opened up. They opened up a little bit. Like uh, testing, for example, um, many professors have moved to a model of testing that's like this, this test takes an hour. And so, you know, maybe if you're dyslexic like myself, you know, you might need two hours because it takes you longer to read and you need that accommodation. But it's on canvas and I'm just gonna give you the next four days. You know, it's gonna take about an hour, maybe two if you need extra time, but you have four days to do it. The students in those classes don't need our service anymore. Like they 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 lack that need because that 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 accommodation is now just inclusively in the environment. While accommodations are available for a lot of students who may need them, follow through on the accommodations themselves can often be a problem. Many students have reported professors not taking their accommodations into account in classes or making them feel guilty for asking for accommodations. I asked Moore how he thinks this problem can be addressed. One of the things that I would love to do is, you know, change the culture. There's, there's some people on campus, um, the three ways you convince somebody to do something in like a disability service world or an accommodation world. The three ways we approach people are we first try to believe that the, the moral argument, the things we talked about, like social justice, like that's the moral argument that, uh, each human uh, individual experience is valid and should be respected. And that might change the individual need within a specific environment. Um, if people don't buy onto the moral argument, we go with the pragmatic argument. This is better to do. Like a lot of the things that started in disability services or special education in the K through 12 sense, you know, this just is a more effective strategy for like everybody. Like, you know, I can give a student with dyslexia a time and a half on a test, but you know, what about the student that lost their dog last night? That's not a disability. That just sucks. Like, um, you know, this is a college campus, um, in a college town. Uh, I don't, I've never been to an Ithaca college party, but I imagine this has a decent party campus vibe going. Like some days you're more tired than others because you were out too late. Like, that doesn't the test a test is supposed to represent your 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 valid assessment and you know because you were tired it is not a valid assessment so um, you know doing some people you know buy into the pragmatics of it like hey if you do this more inclusive strategy um, it will be uh, better for everybody it will be a better learning environment your students will learn more and they thus will be you know more effective, you know, whatever you're training them to be within whatever program they're in. Uh, and then the last argument we have is like, this is, there's, there's a legal issue here. And so like, there are people that, you know, we get to that point with like a 
we kind of have to do something because there is a legal issue. And, and having the Americans with Disabilities Act in an office like ours, um, you know, we hope, we hope not to have to get there, but sometimes we, we definitely, like that's people's understanding. They're doing it because there's an accommodation plan released and some people can be jerks about it. Um, we're still here to help students facilitate that process. Um, if things, if there's bad blood between professors and a student, sometimes we've specified our conversation, our accommodations within the individual environment. And again, because disability is in an environment, we're doing this for very specific environments. Like this is how uh, that accommodation we call um, uh, mods effectively, uh, or uh, effectively, we call it uh, affectionately, we call it mods, uh, modification of assignment deadlines. Um, uh, you know, we can specify that like, well, in this class, because of the fundamental requirements and the needs of the student, it means X time communicated in X way that will be handed in through X method. Um, sometimes we do have to go through that. Um, and that's, again, that's part of the reason why we're an office, why this office still exists, because the world is not a perfectly inclusive place. But what about the argument about college being a stepping stone to the real world? And obviously, the real world and jobs are not always accommodating of everyone's individual needs. I'm sure there are some businesses that have more deadlines fundamentally, um, yeah. but also like, I've had faculty tell me like, oh, that's not how it happens in the real world. And then I have to remind them that I actually know 35 people on this campus that have an accommodation around this sort of flexibility. Like, and they're on this campus through HR, not through my office. Like they went through HR to get a similar accommodation because they had a disability, went through the same process and they got an accommodation. And to be honest, a lot of the times, like the small flexibilities, like, oh, hey, this is due. Like if anyone on my staff, if I like assign something and say, I need this by Thursday and then they get into a car crash on Wednesday, like, okay, it's clearly, like I'm clearly going to be flexible in this, in this situation, so. I just, I, the, the hypercapitalism, yeah. Sometimes I feel like people who use that as like excuse within an environment like ours, like my, my sister is very high up in a very wealth focused institution. And I talk with her about how she's giving accommodations all the time. They happen even in the, the wealthiest, uh, most capitalistic organizations in the country. They still are there. It is ADA is a law, and you have to engage in it in this way. According to Moore, SAS continues to work on spreading awareness about the services they already offer and brainstorming ideas for projects that could help further improve their services. The only hurdle is that they don't always have the resources to bring their ideas to reality. So this is something. This is something that we don't currently have. Um, because we, I mean, it's, it's an expensive sort of thing to launch, um, but would be a big boon to anyone with a visual impairment, whether they're totally blind or they, you know, visual impairment somewhere along that spectrum. Um, there is an application, which is a professional service that we would pay for, that if we could get the funding for this, essentially anything Ithaca owns, Ithaca College owns, anywhere our classes might be, um, so this would be the PA program down in the commons. This would be the campus um, when like festivals are going. I think FLEF happens in, um, what's the theater? Oh, the, um, like we could essentially geo fence 
the areas in which Ithaca College has its experiences. And when we're having Ithaca College experiences there, when someone from an Ithaca College community is um, there, or even if, like if you're a parent and you're coming in to visit your student, if you're a visual impairment, you'd be able to load this application on your phone. A uh, professionally trained individual would be on the other side and they would be able to, um, as it's like an orientation specialist, and they would be able to provide the visual information which you cannot access because of the visual impairment auditorially. So that could be things like, um, that could be things like, uh, hey, there's an icy patch coming up in 20 feet, but the path is clear to the right, uh, helping students or parents get around campus the first time so they can learn where their um, uh, spaces are. That could be reading a candy bar to make sure it doesn't have certain allergens in it. Um, it could be a professor grading papers at night and not being able to like, you know, read a student's handwriting like it could be a bunch of things and it would just be it wouldn't be an accommodation that i would have to say give to an individual student um, another project is an example that i would really love to have the time and, and uh, resources to do uh, a physical map of the campus not like the one we have but sort of like hey i want to get from towers to dillingham and it would give you various paths and it would be like we, there would be a ranking system within that like well this one has a lot of stairs well this one has steep slopes but no stairs this one has like one or two stairs but it's pretty flat otherwise and this one's completely flat you can traverse you know via flat surfaces or elevators this is how you get to this space creating an inclusive environment for those with disabilities is partly the work of the college and sas but a lot of it also falls upon us as individuals to be cognizant of our environment and behavior and check ourselves when we act in ways that could be hurtful to those whose needs differ from us or point it out if we notice something in our environment that we think could be inaccessible for someone with disabilities. For WICB News, I'm Hamadri Said. And that's all for this edition of Ithaca Now. You can, you can listen to all of our stories on WICB.org. And if you'd like to listen to past shows, follow WICB on SoundCloud and subscribe to Ithaca Now to hear this show anywhere, anytime. Also, subscribe to the latest to hear our daily newscast every weekday. Just search WICB News Presents on your favorite podcast app. For more updates throughout the week, follow WICB News on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. The show wouldn't happen without the support and assistance from Manager of Television and Radio Operations Jeremy Menard, WICB Station Manager Connor Hibbard, and Programming Director Harrison Kona. Thank you. Ithaca Now is produced by News Director Himadri Saith with assistance from News Managing Director Jordan Broking, News Production Director Beck Legato, and Social Media Coordinators Emma Kirsting and Inbanini and Baronson. All of the music from our show's intro and outro comes from Dr. Dundiff of Louisville, Kentucky. Have any feedback, story ideas, just want to say hi? Feel free to reach out by emailing news at WICB.org. We'll be back with a full episode of Ithaca Now at 7 p.m. next Sunday. For WICB News, I'm Jay Bradley. <laughs>